If you're enjoying these podcasts and are interested in learning how to build an AI startup or pilot an AI product within your organization, I have created a six-step framework and a process guide. The framework will help you avoid the costly mistakes and the process lays out how to go from learning the fundamentals to piloting the product week by week. If it interests you, it's available on our website for free. My hope is that it will help you start off on the right foot. Don't worry about researching AI and figuring out how to apply AI to your business when you know less about how AI works. Find a good problem and find a rich data set first, and then go talk to people who do know how AI works when you already have a lot of that legwork done. I think that's the best step in the first direction. And for us, that's ultimately where we start our conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, the show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit, and from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us. And now, let the show begin. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Steve Meyer. Steve is a co-founder at Kung Fu AI, consulting firm that helps companies start and accelerate AI programs. A teacher termed creative technologist, Steve is an expert in finding simple solutions to big problems. Steve is not just an expert on AI, but also an expert in human-centered design. And as an AI consultant, Steve has worked with about a dozen plus clients across multiple industries energy, defense, healthcare, financial services, to name few. And that's just over the course of last three years. On the show today, I'm interested in hearing about Steve's perspective on the patterns that are getting traction in the field and the ones that are falling apart. And also about their approach to taking clients from experimentation to implementing and utilizing AI at scale. So with that, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Steve, before we start, can you take a minute to tell us how you and the team came up with the name Kung Fu AI and in, in, in the context of what you do, what does it mean? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Most people have a misconception on what Kung Fu actually means. We think of it as a martial art. While that's not completely untrue, Kung Fu actually means process. And not just any process, any a process that one has to go through to acquire a great skill that requires a lot of hard work and discipline. And we believe AI is one of those processes. You could quite literally kung fu anything, but to truly do AI well, you really have to go through this process. And from a services standpoint, we help people through this long and often difficult process to go from a company that may not value data to a company that is leveraging data as a capability and artificial intelligence is that how. So we like to think, to use the fighting analogy, we like to think we can fight for you today as your Kung Fu master, but like any good Kung Fu master, we will teach you AI over your journey. That's interesting. I did not know that. I always saw it and thought of it as martial arts. So can you walk us through what an example of an engagement looks like for you as you engage with clients? What do you do? How do you engage? 
they vary. We are purely an artificial intelligence services company by design. We are founded by a bunch of serial entrepreneurs who've been more successful in the product space and have very little services experience, but also have a big background in artificial intelligence and intentionally decided to start a services business. Products right now are often too narrow in scope. AI doesn't generalize very well today. So if you're going to solve a problem using artificial intelligence, it's going to be a very narrow one, which isn't as interesting to people who want to start a product company. And for that reason, we thought we could bring more good into the world, helping our customers, our clients build their own artificial intelligence capability. And and how we do that is principally three ways. One, we are consultants and we help our companies first identify which use cases make sense to their business. So there is a a lot of problems we have, and oftentimes we are hoarding a lot of data, but we have less of ability to map the two together and see how our data can be an enabler to the solution to our problem. So we identify those use cases, we help them build a roadmap of which use cases are more practical versus the ones we may want to push down the roadmap and are more aspirational. So that's really the strategy offering. We aren't just consultants, we also build things. We have a very talented senior PhD-driven staff who is very adept in areas of computer vision, natural language processing, and more of the predictive statistical modeling. And we will build capabilities which our clients own, as opposed to offering them a license or a product. And finally, the things that get us most excited is more of this transformation service that we offer, where our goal is to teach our clients AI. And we want to help them to build their own internal competency centers. So that's everything from helping them hire their first head of the entire AI department, all the way through helping them build processes that connect data collection and data science, all the way through DevOps and deployment, so they can really do their own artificial intelligence programs at scale, and they don't need to use consultants to execute. So that's really where we're operating. So within your client organization, are there any particular departments or business functions where you're seeing an opportunity or a business function that's realizing that they should be looking into or investing into R&D? Or is it it coming from top down the CEO level? You know, it is a little of both, but we are seeing more success working with the C-level because artificial intelligence is very much a collaboration between many departments to get a lot of these more powerful programs off the ground. So our common customer is a CEO or a CIO. And if you're a technology company, it could be a CTO, but they almost always require executive sponsorship and oversight because there's a lot of barriers that need to be broken down whether it be providing air cover from a data standpoint or getting to areas that may exist, but in technology silos to cooperate with one another for sharing resources, whether it be data or infrastructure resources. It certainly requires that collaboration, but more importantly, it requires a strong business goal and a strong strategy behind it. Because artificial intelligence as a checkbox solution or a solution looking for a problem is tempting because it is exciting technology, but often that's when the projects fail. You need to be very tightly aligned to the corporate strategy and marching in a direction that's very measurable from a business impact. And usually the people that own those numbers are going to be in the C-suite. When you look at business impact, is it where you're applying AI as more a transformational play 
where they're looking at a business model and exploring how AI can help them disrupt? Or is it more about operational efficiency at this point? You know, it's a little of everything. So we are starting to see a lot more interest from technology companies, predominantly SaaS and PaaS companies who are born on the cloud, they're digital natives, and artificial intelligence becomes a key feature in their product, and it's on the product roadmap. So in that case, it's a very easy one-to-one top-line benefit, and they've done a lot of the business justification even before talking to a Kung Fu, which is fabulous. Oftentimes, we are working with our clients to help them automate a process or help them triage something that is very mundane and manual and labor-intensive. And we're trying to do that more efficiently. And in these days, especially in a COVID environment, in a pending recession, we all want to do more with less. So there are ripe opportunities to automate those processes using things like computer vision or robotic process automation. But there are still very much a lot of top-line opportunities as well, where we can work with a traditional company that's looking to expand their business model, whether or not artificial intelligence is a way to understand a market and validate if their ideas are good ideas, or it could be the core pivot in a business where they want to use artificial intelligence as a new capability, a new product, a new service offering, so they can change that trajectory. So say you have identified a few use cases for a client, you've mapped them on a roadmap based on priority. What happens next? Do they engage you to execute on them? Do you start with the proof of concept? How do they proceed once they have the use cases? Yeah, typically that's what you want to do. You want to roll this technology out in a drip fashion where you want to take small bites. Now, Proof of concepts are very important, and they validate the technology. There's no certainty in artificial intelligence. Even if you have something that has worked famously well for one use case and you want to use it for exactly the same thing and using exactly the same model, your data may not allow your success. So there is very much an experimentation phase of artificial intelligence where we have to build the proof of concept and look at the results and say, hey, are those results good enough to meet my business objective? And can you forecast greater results with additional data and training and engineering? And once you get through that piece of it, you de-risk a lot of the development, and then you continue on investing time, money, and resources. However, you are going to learn more by piloting. So there's a lot of new research being published that companies are three times as likely to be successful if they can move quickly into pilot and not only just test a modeling capability on dummy data or training data, but battle test it in a limited or controlled environment with real users and real conditions and get it out there and see if it's successful. But it's still a small step, right? And you're going to go through some sort of proof of concept even before you get into pilot. But from there, once you start seeing success, that's when you can start getting really excited because these are learning algorithms. I like to think artificial intelligence is closer to a plant than it is a application or a website where it gets better and it grows with attention, meaning it's not a static capability. It's a living, evolving capability. However, if you don't give it sunlight and water and attention, it can wither and decay. So it provides a whole new opportunity for for maintenance and monitoring and really progressing models, which is really that final phase or leg of the marathon to get this thing working and achieving the business goal it's set out to achieve. I love the plan analogy. And what I've seen and I struggle with is 
that when it comes to applying AI and machine learning, the expectation is that there is no room for mistakes. There is too much focus on perfection and not enough on relative improvements from the status quo. I'm wondering if this is something you're experiencing as well, where perfection is getting in the way of execution. That's fairly spot on. We do often get pushback from clients that have a hard time investing in something that may not work at all. Even though we are trying to de-risk it, we are trying to fail fast, and it's a small investment relative to the overall investment we're expecting to get a capability rolled out. It does become problematic if you don't have a culture of R&D or if you don't understand artificial intelligence being closer to science in a laboratory than it is traditional front-end software development. So for the clients that are less used to that type of culture or mindset, it does require education on what AI is and what it is not. And at the end of the day, if the problem is strong enough or the problem is worthy enough to solve and the impact is measurable and all other alternatives have fallen down, usually people can come around to the fact that I'm going to put an insurance policy on this solution by investing a little bit of time and money into a POC, even though normally I'd be uncomfortable with doing that, assuming failure is an option. So, you know, it just depends on finding the right problems and doing the right education and, and marrying all those things together. And given that you can go from one industry to the next, are you seeing any industries that are more open to it or that are adopting or maturing faster versus the others? Yeah, I think that it's really interesting because writ large, you can say yes. However, adoption is even lumpy within industries. Let me give you an example. So we had one conversation with a enterprise level insurance company. And their objection wasn't so much our capability or how we deploy our services. It was that, how can I evaluate you when I have teams that are five times the size of you working on a multitude of artificial intelligence programs as we speak inside the business? And then it becomes a conversation on where can I place you? And is it staff org or what value can you bring to the table that's differentiated from the stuff that we've already invested in? And then you have a conversation with a middle market insurance company who doesn't have a single data scientist on staff. These are companies both of billions of dollars in revenue, but there's a lot of have and have nots even within industry verticals. That's just being one example. But I think that example is fairly true across the board. You are going to see more success with artificial intelligence at the enterprise level. These companies are rich in resources. They have a culture of R&D. There's always set-asides for experimentation and exploration of new technology. You'll find roles like corporate development exist in enterprises where smaller businesses are, are harder to find that role. So I think size of business and industry in conjunction are probably more signal or correlation than just an industry or size of business alone. But what's really interesting is you are also seeing a tremendous adoption curve from the smaller tech disruptors. Again, the ones that are digital native are born on the cloud. And these are the companies where you, again, using the insurance example, you have Progressive who might have hundreds of data scientists and machine learning engineers on staff. And then you have companies in the middle that don't have a single data scientist. And then there's companies like Lemonade, which is this technology disruptor in the insurance space that's predicated on artificial intelligence technology that everyone is starting to fear, right? And it's those types of companies that are coming up very quickly that are highly backed 
by lots of capital and they're the ones that are able to make a lot of noise and getting the people who get stuck in between kind of wake up to the fact that artificial intelligence is important. So as you go from POCs to operationalization of machine learning models and AI, are you seeing that there is this chasm that exists between running POCs and doing things in the sandbox versus actually deploying something in production where business is using it? Because in my experience, sandbox environments and POCs were great. But when it comes time to have rubber meet the road, there is this hesitation from the business side. Maybe they don't fully understand it. They just don't adopt. They keep going back to the old ways of doing things. Yes, this is such an important question, and I'm glad you brought it up. I can tell it comes from experience. There's a major, major gap in the market right now between people who can get to POC and those that can get to deployment. It's often a question that I ask a lot of our clients when we sit down with them and they say, hey, how are you different or what value can you bring to us? Because we have many AI projects going on right now. And when you dig a little deeper, you can find out that they have many POCs, but their hit rate to getting into deployment is just a fraction of the POCs that they've tried. Why is that? Well, there is a gap in skill set. People who are on the software engineering side and the DevOps side often don't understand the data science side, and the data scientists don't know how to get things into deployment, and they often have to work together. But there's gaps yet, and it's really just an immaturity in this whole thing that's going on right here. So with our clients, sometimes we'll build things that are ready for deployment, and the product managers don't know how to prioritize the capability or even where it fits in a long line of features that they want to add to their product roadmap. So there's a lot of points of failure here, whether it be getting the model, which provides really no value to the business until it's actually deployed as some sort of usable front-end experience. But that piece of it is very much owned by an entirely different group altogether. So Using our product background, we're trying to bridge that gap. We're trying to provide that education. And that, in part, is why I advocated for pilot over POC. Because if you can have a pilot mentality, now all of a sudden you're bringing different people into the room when you kick off a project, right? Because you're thinking about DevOps and you're thinking about product and deployment. I like that strategy. And it's still relatively new as a technology. There's still a lot of uncertainty and even fear around it. So I'm wondering, as you go out and consult your clients, what are some of the challenges that you're experiencing? Yeah, I think a couple of the big ones at the top of my head are data. That's a fairly obvious one, right? Where, again, the technology is interesting, but in terms of your ability to create a capability, it's less interesting than what data do you have? Because take two competitors and they use the exact same model, one will be successful because they have a richer, better data set than the other. So if you don't have the data or access to the data, whether it be you just as a business can't access your own data, or you don't have that data, or sometimes working with clients who purge their data to save a couple dollars a month on their storage costs, that becomes a huge issue. And a lot of times we're spending much of our work in just trying to collect, augment, normalized structure data. The other big one is culture. So on the far end, if that's a very technical challenge, go to a very business level challenge or organizational level challenge. 
culture is a real issue. Again, I alluded earlier to the culture of R&D, right? You have to have an R&D mindset or be able to embrace R&D. That's a precursor. But there's a change management issue in artificial intelligence as well. And if you have a culture that's fearful of change, fearful of technology, has low data literacy, maybe aren't proficient in basic analytics or thinking about what decision they're making and how the data connects to that decision or informs that decision, trying to roll out an AI solution, it could be the best solution in the world. It can have the prettiest interface wrapped around it. You don't teach people how to use it and remove a lot of the fear of, of using it. A lot of times I've seen it fall down that way too. And then I think the third and other big one is just education. People still yet don't have their head wrapped around this stuff. And we have to go in there and we have to understand where they're coming from, demystify artificial intelligence before we can take that first step forward. Yep, you're spot on on the challenges. In terms of the future, right, as we navigate through these challenges, where do you see the future? And then before we go into the future, where do you see Kung Fu, say, three years from now and then five years from now? We have been very fortunate to not only have started an artificial intelligence services company, but to have started in Austin, who has a, just been a tremendous community, both from an AI community, but having great access to the type of clients that you want to be working with who will embrace this stuff sooner than others. So we are very focused locally on Austin and Texas, and we work with clients all across the country, but just because we're a smaller team, our efforts have been just talking to our community that's close at hand. However, we see ourselves building community by community. There's a lot of what I call collateral benefit that comes out of some of these decisions. You think you're solving one problem and it ultimately solves other problems, meaning that uh, we get to spend a lot of time on site with our clients and we get a lot of face-to-face time, which is so valuable. These days, a little challenging, but you know, before all that, it was very, very successful. And uh, good access and community of talent. So it's very easy for us to keep people here at Kung Fu and attract other really talented machine learning engineer types. So that's been really successful. And if in three years from now, we hope to have a Kung Fu in Dallas and a Kung Fu in San Francisco and a Kung Fu in New York, for example. And then they would serve their communities and reap all the same benefits. And then I think five years down the road, Gosh, who knows? I could see us being more enabled by artificial intelligence. I think we're always very much going to have services DNA, but we can certainly leverage more technology to make our services more impactful and more agile for our clients. All those things are going to be really interesting as you step forward into the future, You know, not only just creating artificial intelligence, being an enabler from artificial intelligence. So that's going to be a, a big one for us as well. And where is the future of this stuff? Gosh, that's such a good question. You know, moving forward, I think it's just going to become more of a, you know, I hate to say commoditized, but ubiquitous technology is probably closer to to the answer where people in the mid 80s thought of internet as a tool. And in the late 80s, maybe they're trying the internet as a tool for the first time. And now we have IT departments. So we very much see artificial intelligence following the same trajectory and ultimately becoming synonymous with how we do business, ingrained everywhere inside of business, and it's often forgotten about and unappreciated. And that's okay with us because hopefully we'll be doing something fun and new in the cutting edge of AI. What role do you see industry leaders play here? 
say if you were to address them here on this podcast, what message do you have for them? How can they get on the accelerated path on this journey? Yeah, I think the first thing you need to do is change your mindset to see data as a corporate asset. And once you can realize that data is a corporate asset, go find your data asset and identify what data set gives the business a differentiated position in their marketplace. What intelligence have you collected that may or may not be informing your decision-making today that's different than your competitors and can help bring insights in how you want to grow? And once you've identified that, try to figure out where how that data asset maps to the business goals, and then start thinking about capability. Don't worry about researching AI and figuring out how to apply AI to your business when you know less about how AI works. Find a good problem and find a rich data set first, and then go talk to people who do know how AI works when you already have a lot of that legwork done. I think that's the best step in the first direction. And for us, that's ultimately where we start our conversations with our customers. That's a great advice. And before we let you go, can you share an interesting story of an interesting project you worked on and what made it interesting? So many to choose from. I think sometimes, and I talk about the fact that one of the biggest challenges here is not having enough data, right? Or not having enough of a clean data set where you can build any capabilities. I'll briefly touch on two things. I think they both illustrate the same point. You know, oftentimes when you're dealt with these constraints in the field, it's the clever ones that ultimately are more successful. You have to get a little bit creative with the constraints that you're given. And for one technology company in the defense space, we had to help them build an anomaly detection system, but we weren't allowed to see the data, right? We don't have anybody on staff that has top secret clearances, at least not at the time of this posting. And from there, we had to figure out how do we train an anomaly detection model when we are not allowed to see the data whatsoever. So in this case, we had to do a lot of interesting subject matter interviews and try to understand the scenario just by talking to people and then replicate the data or create synthetic data to train this model and ultimately teach it to do something very, very important, but highly classified without ever seeing data. And that was the first step in the right direction to prove a concept. And fortunately, we were able to do that well enough to give confidence that what we were doing wasn't a fruitless R&D pursuit, but was very practical in nature. But using the same thinking of getting around these data challenges, another opportunity was we were dealing with another client who was trying to take data from pictures that were produced by their customers. And these pictures were given to our client willingly and using those pictures to identify certain attributes about the image so they can use it in customer loyalty and marketing and things like that. But the problem with user-generated content is it's very noisy, right? You don't know if you're going to get good lighting conditions, if the object you're looking for is cut off. And we had to apply to fix and normalize this data set. So again, we can train a proof of concept. We basically had to use a GAN model, which is a generative adversarial neural net to basically correct the data issues that we were looking at. So if the receipt was cut off, let's generate the other half of that image. If the lighting was bad or maybe the quality was low, it would enhance the quality. So that was a completely new use case that you're not going to read about using a GAN model to basically normalize image data 
for the sole purpose of trying to achieve this client's problem. So very, very interesting, but you have to get super clever. And I think, again, uh, data being the, the majority of the issue here. Interesting. They're both very, very interesting projects. So I'm looking at the clock here, and it looks like we're at time. So Steve, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Your time and insights are much appreciated. But before we let you go, can you share your contact information if anyone wants to reach you or learn more about Kung Fu and learn more about what you're doing in the community? Where can they find you? Absolutely. You can just come to our website, kungfu.ai, and I'm just steve at kungfu.ai. So we'd love to hear from you and, and talk AI, talk shop. That's easy to remember. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for taking the time out today. Thanks, Ari. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you heard and are interested in more, visit us online at brainedbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker. That's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress. Till next time, go out, be the brains behind AI.